Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. In today's episode, we share all the Disney jargon and technical terms that you need to know as you're planning your vacation. Find all episodes of this podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com or anywhere you find podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. If you'd like to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered for bonus content, or you can support the podcast at no cost to you by using me as your travel agent. Email josephchung at travelmation.net to get started. If you have any questions for us, email us DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at WWDeciphered on Twitter, and find us on Facebook and Instagram, DisneyDeciphered. Thanks, and enjoy. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. Welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So on today's episode, Leslie and I have been talking about doing one of these episodes for a while, but we wanted to talk about all of the Disney jargon, all the Disney terminology that exists out there, because we realize sometimes, I don't know about you, Leslie, but sometimes I feel like I'm talking on this podcast where we are ostensibly helping people to decipher Disney World and Disneyland and Disney Cruise Line, people who are new guests, but we use this jargon that they might not quite know. Yeah, absolutely. There is definitely a Disney lingo that takes a while to learn. So apologies if we've gotten in too deep. This is an attempt to back up and catch you up, especially if you're newer to everything Disney so that you can then understand future and past episodes. Yes. What we're going to do is we're just going to go through, you know, in honor of the 50th anniversary, we're going to go through 50 different Disney jargon, Disney kind of vocabulary words is uh, the best way to put it. And you will be quizzed at the end of this. So be prepared. No, you won't. Some people get excited about that. So I better put out there first and foremost that I'm joking. You're not going to get quizzed. (laughs) All right. I think there are online quizzes you can take if you really care that much. Okay. So we separated things into three kind of random categories to just organize things. And so we're going to start with dining and the resort. You know, I would say the more hotel type experience, the, you know, the non-theme park aspects. So let's get started, Leslie. What's uh, number one? And we're not going to number these all, but we're just going to blow through them. But number one. All right, so number one is ADR, and that stands for Advanced Dining Reservation. So basically, that is the thing that you book um, up to 60 days in advance as of the moment we're recording this episode. If you want to eat at a table service restaurant, these are, you know, highly, highly advised for all of Disney's sit-down restaurants because... You know, they are booked up well in advance. So this is something that definitely should be on your planning timeline. And definitely you should know what what ADR stands for. Yeah. And of course, you can walk up to tables. And nowadays, you can also get on the wait list for a restaurant via your mobile app. But ADR is kind of the way to go if you want to lock in those sit-down restaurants on your Disney vacation. If you want to know more about ADRs, you can check out episode 208. All right, the next term we're going to go over is DVC, which stands for Disney Vacation Club. This is Disney's timeshare program. Many of the deluxe Disney World resorts have DVC sections and designated units. They're slightly different, like there might be a kitchenette in there or... A lot of the suites are DVC, but the way it works, and yeah, we really should do a DVC episode someday from an owner. So hit us up if you're interested in that. But DVC, you buy a certain number of points and then you use those points to book your Disney vacations uh, every year, or every couple of years or so. So whenever you hear DVC, we're talking about Disney's timeshare program. What's next? 
All right, next is Magic Bands. And this is something I hope most people have heard about by now. They've been around for nearly a decade. And these are these little like Fitbit style uh, wristwatches that you wear that work kind of magically to unlock a lot of different features at Walt Disney World. You know, use it to scan into a park as your park ticket. You can use it to scan into lightning lanes. And we'll tell you what that means later in the episode. You can use it if you're a on-property hotel guest to scan at registers to charge things back to your hotel room. So lots of options sort of on this one magic band. And then a big change coming any day now in 2022, there's going to be these magic band pluses, which are the next generation of magic bands that are going to light up and you can charge and will cost you more money. Yeah, and a quick addition, you used to be able to get Magic Bands complimentary or as part of your resort stay. Nowadays, it is still a separate purchase, but you save a little bit of money on your resort stay. And they've been having Magic Band, like normal Magic Band supply chain issues. I'm not sure if that's because of Magic Band Plus. So just throwing that all in here. And as of time of recording, I checked and the cheapest Magic Band I could get with a discount on my on-property stay was for $10. So that is what it is. All right, our next term is the kind of the big new resort quote unquote at Walt Disney World which is the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser which you might hear called the Star Cruiser or the Star Wars Hotel although that last one is really a misnomer if you want to hear more about that you can hear about that on episode 214 but it is much more than just a hotel it is an experience you're kind of living for two nights in a Star Wars experience and story and so when you hear Star Cruiser Star Wars Hotel that's what we're talking about and I kind of want to throw it in there because people still think of it as just a hotel and it really that's not what it is. All right, moving on. Next term is on property, sometimes called on site. And that is the term used to refer to any of the hotels that are on Disney property. 47 square miles there just outside of Orlando. This is a little bit of a complicated term because a lot of people use that term sometimes to mean the hotels that are owned by Disney. But there are technically some hotels that are on property that aren't owned by Disney, like the Swan, the Dolphin, Shades of Green. Green, Four Seasons. So this is a little bit of a, a term that you might need to drill down on if somebody uses. Are they talking about the Disney-owned on-property hotels or are they talking about all of the hotels that are physically located on Disney property? Yeah, and normally I think the big differentiator is the on-site hotels that have benefits like extra hours in the parks, lightning lane stuff. Of course, some of the good neighbor hotels, uh, which is what they're called, have that as well. So it can get pretty tricky. I would say that on this particular podcast, if you hear us say on site, we are almost certainly talking about a Disney World hotel, like one of the hotels that has the word Disney in front of it, Disney's Grand Californian, Disney's Contemporary Resort, Disney's Pop Century. On this podcast, that's what we're talking about. Maybe the Swan and Dolphin, but really mostly the Disney hotels. Now with within on site hotels, the Disney World versions, you have a couple of levels. You have the value resorts, the moderate resorts, and the deluxe resorts. As you go up, they become more expensive. The way I mostly differentiate in my mind, although these three levels have really started blurring the lines a lot, but the way I always still think of it, this is a little bit outdated, but value resorts, it's like outdoor access to your room. There's no restaurants on property. It's only a food court. It's kind of like a motel level. Moderate, it's still outdoor access 
but there are restaurants. And so it's a little bit above a motel level of accommodation. And then deluxe, you have indoor access to your doors, much more elaborate pools, although all the resorts, we should say, have nice pools and you know it's a lot more expensive. And deluxe has a lot of the nicest restaurants. Of course, like we said, there are a lot of hybrids, like Art of Animation is a value resort, but you have indoor access on all the suites, et cetera, et cetera. But that is kind of the quick breakdown. You can check out episode 215 to learn more about the different types of hotels that are out there. Now, Leslie, there's kind of one more vocabulary term that people might need to know about staying on site, and that is club level. So tell us a little bit about club level. Club level is a special sort of additional designation that you can buy into by paying more at some of Disney's deluxe resorts. And it gives you access to a concierge lounge where you can get drinks and food throughout your stay. So you're paying more, but you're sort of saving on food costs and and snack costs because you're able to hit up the lounge when you need it. Joe, I know you stayed club level recently on one of your last trips, and you can find out more about the amenities and the price and the value of that on episode 215. Yeah, and like we said, the lines are being blurred because now club level exists at a moderate, which is Coronado Springs in the Grand Destino Tower. So I don't know. I don't know how much longer Disney's going to use value moderate deluxe, but we're going to use it as long as it's convenient for Disney Deciphered. Now, of course, you have the off-property hotels. If anyone says off-property, they just mean something off-site, outside of the Disney boundaries without any of the benefits that come from Disney hotels or even the Disney good neighbor hotels. Moving on to dining, the first type of dining you need to know about is the quick service or the counter meal. This is pretty much dining where you place your order at a register or more often than not these days via a mobile order on your Disney app and then you take your food to the table to enjoy like there's no servers or anything like that. Now the next two types of meals Leslie I'm going to let you differentiate them so I don't have to deal with the headache of doing so. All right, so the first of these is table service restaurants. And I already mentioned that when I talked about making ADRs, advanced dining reservations. So a table service restaurant is just a sit-down place, you know, table cost service, served by a waiter or waitress. And there are occasionally some that have buffets. Now, there are also sort of fancier restaurants that Disney calls signature dining. And these are sort of the iconic dining locations, the ones that are much more expensive. They are table service restaurants as well, technically. So, but they're kind of in a category all their own. And when Disney World has the dining plan operational, usually these signature dining experiences are two table service credits instead of one. So that's sort of what the division is. But of course, we don't have a dining plan right now. But if if it comes back, then that distinction becomes more important. Yeah, and quick aside, a lot of these table service meals, not a lot, but table service meals are where you can get the character dining experiences, which now that everything is back to how it used to be, if the character dining is operational, characters will come visit your table as you're eating, or they might have a little show. So, And normally those are not the signature dining ones, those are just the regular table service meals. Not that those are inexpensive, but they're not as expensive as signature dining. The next thing to talk about really quickly is the resort mug. You can pick this up at any Disney resort on property. The way it works is you buy it and for the length of your stay, you can get free soda refills and coffee at the food court or or stores that have soda fountains just at all of the resorts. So it's a great way to save a lot of money on soda if you drink a lot of soda. The big caveat, though, is that you don't get any free refills in the parks. So you have to get the refill at a resort. One way around that is, you know, maybe you swing by the Contemporary or your way on your way into the Magic Kingdom or you swing by the Beach Club on your way into Epcot or something like that so that you have your 
free quote unquote soda in the parks. Last two things under dining and resorts were transitioning towards enjoying ourselves in the actual theme parks. And those are the extra hours, which I still don't get the terminology right. So again, Leslie, I'm going to lean on you. Tell us about the extended hour. Just tell us about it. Okay. So this used to be called Extra Magic Hour, EMH, which was really simple. People could understand. It was so simple. It was. And now there are these two different types of of extended hours. There are ones in the morning. And technically, I think, Joe, those are called early theme park entry now. And that's every park opens 30 minutes early every single day for on-property hotel guests only. And again... You have to look at the list, what's on property (laughs) as to what hotels get this. But most of the the hotels you think get this early theme park entry. So you get to go go in early before everybody else who's staying off site. You get to hit up some rides with shorter lines. Um, You know, just a great way to get some things knocked out quickly that otherwise would have really, really long standby lines. And then in the evenings, there are extended evening hours. And those are only for deluxe hotel guests, plus I believe Swan and Dolphin hotel guests. And these are only, you know, some nights of the week. It's just one park a night and you can stay late at those parks and again have shorter ride lines during those hours. So this is this is the time when, you know, if you're an early riser or you're a night owl that you can get a lot of things done with shorter waits. Yeah, and they are allowing you to get an extra virtual queue slot. We'll talk about that later for Guardians of the Galaxy at the Epcot Extended Evening Hours right now. So that is pretty nice. And we should also say that Extended Evening Hours are just two nights a week, once at Magic Kingdom, once at Epcot. But the early theme park entry, as Leslie said, is every single day. All right, so let's move on to our next section, which is ticketing, touring, and attractions. So starting with tickets, uh, let's. I'm going to go through three different ticket types all at once. The park hopper is the type of ticket that allows you to visit more than one park on the same day. And a question I get all the time that people that confuses people is you cannot add the park hopper to only one day of your ticket. So if you have a five day ticket, if you want to park hop on one day, you have to add the park hopper to all five days. It's not a single add on. It's an add on to your entire ticket. That being said, depending on how long your ticket is, it's like 60 to $90 ish to add for the length of your entire ticket. So we all know if you've listened to this podcast before that Leslie loves that. But yes, Park Hopper is an add-on to your ticket that allows you to go to more than one park per day. Right now, the park hopping time is still 2 p.m. We hope one day for this sentence to be obsolete, but as of right now, it is not. And park hopping is often used as a verb or, I don't know, is that technically a a gerund? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) Uh, I got to ask my elementary school kids. They might know. Yes. But yes, yes. Uh, park hopping is used as a verb, uh, an active What? Okay, I'm just embarrassing myself. All you grammar teachers out there, we apologize. Park hopper plus... Just for like an extra 20 to $30, if you get a park hopper, it also allows you to go to the water park. So like Blizzard Beach, Typhoon Lagoon, and play mini golf. So that's pretty great. And then the last ticket type that I'll mention here is you'll hear people say AP a lot, and that is not advanced placement tests. Those are annual passes when Disney starts selling them again. A lot of consternation about that, but yes, APs are annual passes. All right, so with tickets out of the way, let's get into the parks, Leslie. 
All right, the next term that you'll hear often in the parks, especially if you have young kids, is rider switch, sometimes called child swap or rider swap, but usually some some variation of that. And the names probably give it away a little bit. This is an option where if you have a child who is too little to ride an attraction or just too scared to ride an attraction, it allows adults in your traveling party to sort of trade off caring for that child while the rest of your party gets to ride. And the way it works is the the second group doesn't have to wait in the standby line over again. They get to sort of either cut through a back way into the attraction or they get to go straight into the lightning lane and have a shorter wait. So this is this is a great benefit to families with babies and toddlers. And it's also a great benefit to older siblings because they get to ride with the first adult and then they get to ride with the second adult. If you're just a solo older sibling, two people can return in that second group. So you can tag along with mom, dad, grandma, whoever, and uh, ride again. Again, but again, only two people in that return group at Disney World. Disneyland's got three. So a little bonus for the West Coast there. No comment. No comment on my jealousy. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, you'll also hear people say dark ride a lot. And this refers to rides that take place indoors. You're riding a vehicle. You're going through a s- various scenes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the ride is dark or scary. However, kind of the way Disney does does attractions is there's generally like one kind of dark scene um, in every single one. You know, I would say, I don't know, maybe like Peter Pan or has the tamest scary scene or whatever. But, you know, if you're thinking about something like Winnie the Pooh, it gets really dark in there during the dream sequence, you know, depending on the age of your kid and how easily scared they are and stuff like that. But yeah, dark rides basically mean these indoor attractions. And now that I say that, I don't know, is a small world technically a dark ride? I don't even know. Yeah, I'd call it a dark ride for sure. The brightest (laughs) dark ride in the world. (laughs) Fair point. So let's get to the annoying ones. We'll start with Disney Genie. So Disney Genie, if you hear someone say Disney Genie, or sometimes people will say, uh, or at least I call it Vanilla Genie, or sometimes people call it Disney Freenie. That's the free version of the app. Um, When you're on your My Disney Experience app, Genie will give you recommendations of what to do. And there's lots of stuff out there about how the recommendations are typically quite bad, um, or at least not very efficient. Now, Genie Plus, which we've talked about in episodes 199 and 212 most recently, is something else on top of that. And so what is Genie Plus, Leslie? So Genie Plus is you pay an extra fee and it allows you to book what used to be Fast Passes, but is now called something else, Lightning Lane, and we'll get to that. It allows you to sort of book return times to rides where you can go in through a queue that has a much shorter wait. So you're skipping the standby line. So Genie Plus is kind of the replacement for FastPass in that it's the service that is available on the app that you use to book your return times to rides. And right now, as of the time we're recording, it's $15 per person per day. And by the time this is released, you will have to add it every day of your theme park to your ticket starting at midnight. You won't be able to pre-purchase tickets with Genie Plus included for the length of your vacation anymore. When you were saying that, Leslie, you reminded me that you hear the term return time a lot. That's basically the window that you can return to cut the liner, go into the lightning lane when you're using Genie Plus or anything that allows you to have a shorter wait in line. So return time is when you expect to go back to the attraction. Now, on top of Genie Plus, every park is supposed to have two, but as of right now, only has one. 
of what are called the individual attraction selections. And you will generally hear people refer to these as individual lightning lanes. These are attractions that you need to pay for separately. So like Genie Plus doesn't cover these. These are like the top tier paid attractions, at least in Disney's eyes. So you're going to have to pay a separate amount, generally between 8 and like $17 as of recording right now to get expedited access to those attractions as we're recording it's guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind at epcot seven dwarfs mine train at magic kingdom flight of passage at animal kingdom and rise of the resistance at hollywood studios but those things change uh, all the time so you have genie plus you have individual attraction selection and then you also have the standby line which is the normal queue for guests who are not using anything to get expedited access to an attraction if that's not confusing enough you have this term lightning lane, which is, you know, I think Brooke McDonald put it the best when she was on our podcast maybe 40 episodes ago. The lightning lane is the physical line you go through when you're using expedited access. So whether you have Genie Plus, individual lightning lane, or DAS, which we're going to get to in a little bit, you're going to go through the lightning lane It's like a physical lane that you go through as opposed to the standby line, which is the normal queue. Confusing enough, Leslie? I I still just... I'm exhausted already. Sorry, folks. Disney created this, not us. These terms are purposefully confusing, I feel like, at this point. So... Yes, and to help you to monitor all this confusing stuff is my Disney experience, which you will hear, hear people call MDE or MDX. That is... Again, needlessly confusing because it refers to both the app on your phone and the website. And you can't do everything on the app or the website. It is very annoying. But when you hear My Disney Experience, this is the portal where you're organizing all the details of your Disney vacation. You can view your plans. You can make your Genie Plus reservations. You can make your dining reservations. But it's on the website. It's on the app. And you know, I think the biggest thing that you can't do on the app that you have to do on the website is make your Disney Park reservations, um, which is annoying. And I just realized we didn't put Park Forever... I didn't put park reservations on the vocabulary list, so it's going to be 51, which technically we are in the 51st year of Disney World anyway, so that's good. Park reservations are you have to tell Disney World what park you're going to start at every single day of your trip. All right, those are all the annoying ones, Leslie. Let's get to the fun ones when it comes to touring the parks. Kick us off on the fun stuff. All right. One of my favorites is rope drop. And that simply means you're going to be arriving well before park opening time. And you're going to be entering the park. Um, Cast members usually open the gates early and let guests come into the park and queue behind a physical rope that is then dropped as soon as the moment happens that the park is open. So this is when guests dash off to be first in line for their favorite thrill ride and get a short wait and walk right on it. So rope drop um, is definitely something that I... I recommend and do myself to not wait in long lines during the heat of the day. Yep. And in general, you want to be at the park like 30 to 45 minutes before it's supposed to open to even have a chance at being at the front of the rope. An hour if you really want to play it safe because you got to get through security and all that stuff. Uh, the next fun thing is single rider. Some attractions, if you hear the term single rider, will have single rider lines. We talked about it in my most recent Disneyland trip report that my daughter started using single rider lines with me. You can queue, like if Leslie and I are touring the parks together, we can queue in single rider line together, which is a much shorter line typically. But when we get to the front of the line, they will use Leslie and myself separately to fill in space. Um, And so we'll ride alone and then we can meet at the end of the attraction. Single rider lines are wonderful. What's next? 
All right, next up is hard ticket event. And there's some different terms that people use to refer to these. But these are events that happen in the Disney parks, like, for example, a Christmas party or a Halloween party, where you have to buy a separate ticket. You know, a regular theme park ticket for the day does not do you any good, does not get you in the door. You have to buy a separate ticket to get into the party. And often these go, you know, later into the night. Um, The park closes early for regular guests, and then these go later into the night. Um, with special offerings, you know, sometimes food, characters, shows, things like that. So, you know, there are things in addition to Christmas and Halloween parties, um, some unique events throughout the year, but these are ones to pay attention for whether you want to buy them or whether you don't want to buy them and want to, you know, avoid them and make park reservations for the right park on days where the park closes early because of one of them. Definitely. And most recently, I was at Mickey's Very Merry, Minnie's Very Merry Christmas Party. I don't know. They're probably going to go back to the old Christmas party name. Anyway, episode 197, if you want to check that out. But yes, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, which is one of the big ones, that is back for this fall. So people are excited about that. Last year, it was called Boobash. All right. Another fun thing is VIP tours. That's where you can spend a minimum of $450 per hour to have a VIP guide who are often called plaids because they wear plaid vests, take you around the park, uh, get you lightning lane access to pretty much everything. This is for up to a maximum of 10 people for a minimum of seven hours. Uh, You can listen to episode 218, which Leslie did with her friend Yancey to hear all about the VIP tour experience. One quick note on plaids is that you'll often see plaids at guest services as well. And in my experience, they generally tend to have slightly more power if you need help with an issue, especially if it has to do with uh, Genie Plus or your tickets or something like that. All right, next up is Disability Access Service, also known as DAS. And this is an option that allows guests who aren't able to wait in long standby lines to sort of make a a return time, a reservation to return to a ride. It's often used with a lot of guests who have issues for whatever reason waiting in line. I know a lot of friends use it with kids who have autism or sensory issues, things like that. So really just, you know, something to look into to see if it applies to your particular circumstances. But it can be sort of a replacement for Genie Plus and sometimes actually a little bit better for Genie Plus if you qualify. So definitely something to take advantage of because long standby lines can be really hard on a lot of guests for a lot of circumstances. Yeah, check out episode 216 where I talked to my buddy Mike about DAS. I call it DAS, but yeah, people call it DAS as well. And kind of good news. I mean, it's just a single data point, but a friend of mine just applied for DAS. Like you can get pre-approved online via Zoom these days. And she just did it um, last week and she only waited for 15 minutes, which is amazing because people have been waiting for like five hours. Uh, And you can listen to episode 216 to hear about how messy that that can get. Now, I apologize, everyone. I lied. There is one more annoying touring thing that we need to talk about. And that is virtual queue and boarding groups. Currently, that is only applicable to the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind attraction at Epcot. The way it works is you get a queue spot that gets called back later in the day. Practically, what that means is you need a park reservation at Epcot. And then at 7 a.m., you need to join the virtual queue, which as of right now, you have half a second to do. And then you will be given a boarding group and then that boarding group, when that boarding group is called, they go from one to however many boarding groups they call in a day, like 200 or something like that. When that boarding group is called, you can 
enter the queue for the attraction, but you'll still have to wait when you get to that attraction. Now, virtual queue, you can join at 7 at 1 p.m. after you've entered the park and also at 6 p.m. if there's extended evening hours at Epcot. And that's just specifically for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind right now. But yes, virtual queue, join, be given a boarding group, return to the attraction when your boarding group gets called. All right. I think now... Leslie, we are truly done with the annoying stuff. Let's move on to the miscellaneous Disney terms that kind of didn't fit into any of those two umbrellas. All right, so first up is cast member, and this is the Disney name for its employees. The term actually comes from Walt Disney himself being sort of a theatrical person. So yes, if you hear the term cast member, that just means any employee within the park. And I think it's kind of a a happy term that adds to the fun. I even heard an ESPN personality refer to herself as a cast member the other day uh, on a podcast, although I think she was being mildly sarcastic, but still, yes, everyone who is an employee under the Disney umbrella is called a cast member. All right. Backstage refers to any area that is off limits to park guests. You'll just uh, see a cast member's only sign on a door or like a little pathway. And, you know, you can't go back there. That's where they make all the magic happen in the back. You know, that's where they keep all their dumpsters or whatever. But uh, some Sometimes, like if you're on a VIP tour or if you're on a special tour, you will get to see the backstage areas. And Leslie and I have both been back there. There's some pretty cool stuff back there. It's nice to see backs of the show buildings and how they make everything happen. Especially my wife and my oldest daughter went on that Wild Africa Trek thing. And so they got to see some backstage stuff at Animal Kingdom on the safari. And that is really cool. So it is very nice to go backstage sometime. And that continues to go along with the theatrical terms. All right, what's next? Dream job. All right, next up is Imagineer. That's a term I think a lot of people have heard. And those are the designers of everything in the theme parks, in Disney's theme parks. And it's sort of an arm of the Disney company. And there's a lot of just sort of great history and legacy to being an Imagineer. Highly recommend the Imagineering story on Disney Plus so you can learn more about this awesome job. But they're the people who just make all the minutiae like on a ride like Haunted Mansion that make it come alive and make it special. Up next is if you're having issues, uh, you can go visit Guest Relations, which is generally at the front of every park there. They can help you if you have ticket issues, if you had issues with Genie Plus, dining reservations, if something, you know, I've been to Guest Relations when I've lost a souvenir that I bought and actually they were very kind and gave me a voucher for a replacement. Um, That was for my two-year-old. So it helped that she was bawling at the time, which she was not bawling about the lost souvenir, but she was bawling. So guest relations, they really do try to help you. The cast members there do really try to help you to have a great experience. They do not steal your engagement rings when you're trying to propose, Leslie. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yes, that one went viral. So look wow. it up. That was uh, in Paris. That Disneyland was in Paris. Paris. Yes. Yeah. Was, and uh, also new... Since Genie Plus was introduced, there are blue umbrellas, which you'll just see physical blue umbrellas, and it says guest experience team on those umbrellas, and they can help you with Genie Plus, individual lightning lane, virtual queue, that kind of stuff. All right, just a few more. All right, next up is drinking or eating around the world. And as, as folks know, Epcot uh, World Showcase features 11 different country pavilions. So there definitely has gotten to be sort of a bar crawl or gluttonous crawl <laughs> of some sort where people go from pavilion to pavilion in Epcot and either have a drink in every country or have something to eat in every country. So uh, definitely sort of a Disney adults night out and sometimes can result in some overserved 
guests, especially around a lot of the festivals, which are now like 364 days a year at Epcot. But, you know, still can be a lot of fun. I definitely know people who like do it and like split a drink or something like that. So if you're trying to be responsible. Yeah, we're too old to go hard drinking and eating around the world these days. Um, But, you know, we like we like to have the option. All right. Up next is Memory Maker and PhotoPass, which like Genie Plus and Lightning Lane, these terms get interchanged a lot and can be confusing. So I'll do my best to simplify it here for you. PhotoPass is the term that's used for the actual photos that are taken of you. So if you hear the term PhotoPass photographers, those are the Disney cast members who are taking your photos. You know, so PhotoPass refers to the physical photos. Memory Maker refers to a single purchase that you can make that allows you to download all of your PhotoPass photos. So you're going to be having PhotoPass photos taken of you, whether you like it or not. You can choose to buy them a la carte, or you can pay for Memory Maker, which will give you access to all of your PhotoPass photos. And then on top of that, a magic shot is a term that Disney uses when they add a little pixie dust, like literally to your PhotoPass photo, you know, Tinkerbell might be flying around your head. And so when you hear the term magic shot, that's what it means. It's kind of like a digital enhancement to your photo, which I don't actually love all of them, but Disney loves them. So that's what those are. All right. Next up is the Skyliner. And this is the newest form of transportation at Walt Disney World. It is a gondola like you would find at a ski resort or some other, you know, major cities across the world like Hong Kong. And it goes between Epcot and Hollywood Studios and then a number of hotels and places in between. So you board like a gondola with about up to 10 people and you are whisked away to your next location via air. It, of course, does shut down during thunderstorms, so something to keep in mind when evaluating your overall transportation plan. Yep. All right. So a couple of acronyms. ECV is an electric convenience vehicle, uh, basically scooters. You'll see a lot of those in the park. So if you hear the term ECV, that's what we mean. The TTC is the Ticket and Transportation Center. If you're visiting the Magic Kingdom and you're driving or taking an Uber or Lyft, you actually are at the TTC and then you need to take the monorail or a ferry from there to the Magic Kingdom. So it's all the way across Seven Seas Lagoon to get to the Magic Kingdom from the TTC, which is why if you have young kids, sometimes it's worth springing for a monorail hotel because going through the TTC every single time, it's it's very inconvenient. We've discussed it in the past. It can really slow you down. All right, next up are Hidden Mickeys. These are little decorations, I guess, um, hidden throughout the parks that are in the shape of Mickey's head, you know, the circle with the two circle ears. And they're worked into the park decor by Imagineers. So you might see like an air vent that, you know, has triangles that suddenly has little circles that turn it into a Mickey shape. Or, you know, there's just lots of creative, creative things throughout the parks. And it's a lot of fun when you have kind of a down day to just try to spot them and, and you know kids really get excited about finding them throughout the parks because they're a lot of fun so like kind of a where's waldo as you're headed through uh your disney day yeah just look for three circles uh, organized together and you can generally find them all right penultimate vocabulary term is pixie dust that is just a special moment or an unexpected extra that you get whether it be a room upgrade in a very nice pixie dust example or uh when you know, my daughter was literally given pixie dust outside of Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Uh, you know, she got some glitter in her hair. Just a nice thing that a cast member does to make your 
trip, extra magic, extra special. Um, and that stuff does happen a lot at Disney World, Disneyland, all Disney things. You know, you always get a lot of pixie dust. But instead of saying that you got something nice or you got an upgrade or something, you say you got some pixie dust and it makes everything feel even more magical. All right. So we are at the end of our vocabulary episode. And so we will end with the last thing that you see in Disney parks at night. Leslie, what is that? That is the goodnight kiss. And this is what happens at Magic Kingdom when the parks close down. We're not going to spoil it, but you're going to want to take a look at Cinderella Castle. You'll hear a special message from Mickey. Definitely a pixie dusted moment, you know, for everybody who's in the parks. Um, so this is fun to to watch if you can keep your kids up that late. Definitely. All right, so that does it for all of our vocabulary. It, this has been a pretty long episode, but we do want to end with our traditional Disney do or don't. So a quick Disney do is do make sure that you are aware of the people that you are talking to when you are talking about Disney, that you are being clear that you're not using all this jargon that they don't understand. Uh, it really does feel like drinking from a fire hose. You know, if it's your family or friends or spouse who's not as into the Disney World vacation as you are, just ease them into it. Slowly let them in on the jargon or maybe don't even use the jargon. Don't bother saying like, we got to go to the TTC or whatever. Just say, we got to go to the parking lot. It'll just make things smoother and have people less confused because as you can see from this episode, there's a lot of confusing terminology out there. And why confuse the people who don't really care about it? Only you who loves the jargon should be the one experiencing it. All right, doctor, heal thyself. So we'll take that to heart for for us as well when we're recording our future podcast, perhaps. Yes, I want to blame Disney, though, for how complicated this jargon is. But Indeed. what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, any, any big hobby is going to have this, and Disney is definitely a gigantic hobby and business uh, out there. All right, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'm sure we missed some of your favorite uh, Disney terms, Disney jargon. Please let us know, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter or on Facebook and Instagram, Disney Deciphered. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Other than that, Leslie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, and I will see you making an ADR for a table service restaurant before a hard ticketed event while waiting in line at guest relations to talk to a cast member about a Genie Plus issue and forgetting that you parked at the TTC. Thanks, Joe.